0: Hello, and welcome to The Heart of It, the podcast that gets to the heart of what we do and why we do it. I'm your host, writer and author Kate Sevilla, and each week I'll be taking a closer look at the working lives of passionate and creative people. This week, our guest is Eleanor Tweddle, author of Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing to Ever Happen to You. She's also the founder of the company Another Door, which helps coach people through the experience of job loss and redundancy. I talk with Eleanor about her own experience of being made redundant from a big corporate job during a time of personal grief, and what it was then like to write a book and start a business based on that. She also shares how she looks after her own mental health while being of service to others. Plus, we discuss what's ultimately at the heart of her work. Eleanor Tweddle, thank you so much for joining the Heart of It podcast. Thank you for having me. So firstly... You have written a wonderful book called Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You, and that's published by Penguin Business, and it's out now. And in this, the first part of this book, you talk about shock. So the thing is part one is actually just called shock. What has it been like for you to publish a book that both fortunately and unfortunately literally speaks to so, so many people, and particularly this sense of shock at the moment?
1: Yeah, so um, a lot of people comment on the timing of it. And a few people have said, how did you manage to get a book out so quickly, thinking that I'd written it (laughs) for that. You just whipped it up. (laughs) (laughs) But for me personally, redundancy has always been the same. It's been hard. We're going into it with the same amount of anxiety because it's you as an individual. It's kind of like that law of probability. It's still just one person. Dealing with what's going on, it's just that the moment we're seeing headlines that are perhaps giving us a little bit more fear than usual around. Well, what do I do next? But I think at any time in your life when you lose your job, you're gonna go through those kind of pain points of what do I do next? What's just happened? Am I good enough? So um, yeah, who knows what it would have been like without lockdown? But I'm out here trying to give people a bit of hope. That's what the book was always designed to do, and that's what I'm trying to do now.
0: With With your book, what really struck me um, at the very beginning is you tell your, your own story of redundancy. And I was floored by the amount of grief that you had to deal with um, at one time. Would you mind sharing a bit about your own redundancy story?
1: Yes. Uh, it's interesting what you... Decide to share. I mean, you've probably gone through this process of you're writing a book and you're sort of exploring all of the topics. And then probably right at the end, I thought, actually, I need to just put a bit more context about what happened at that moment in time for me, because I probably hadn't really processed it at that moment. And again, that's a message for people, isn't it? You know, you're, you're probably going through things that you'll look back on in a year's time and think, whoa, what was I doing? How did I get through that? Or what, you know, what was going yeah. on? So for me, yes, I had been in a job that I was enjoying. I'd just come back from maternity and I was enjoying the new job that I was doing as part of the return, getting good feedback. It was all going really good. Myself and my partner were trying for the next baby, you know, over 40. So time is not on our side. <laughs> so I was pregnant and um, unfortunately had a miscarriage. Um, I think it was nearly three months coming up to that okay. point. We certainly hadn't started telling a lot of people. yeah. But I had started telling my boss because we were doing a lot of talent planning and what happens next. So I told her we were doing all of these plans for who could take over my job and that mm-hmm. side of it. So one minute you're in that meeting and setting yourself up for this is what next year is going to look like. And literally within a few weeks, you're in a whole different space. So I had a miscarriage. And then a couple of weeks later, they reorganized and I was told the job's at risk. But there was a job. Shall we just say for the sake of this conversation, very similar. Sure. <laughs> but they said, no, you've got to apply for it. So I had to go through this whole thing of um, I hadn't quite been made redundant, actually. The job was still there and I had to reapply for it. So I went for it, not feeling great about that because they were treating me like this. I didn't really want it, but I wanted the family, you know, all the security of the family side that that a job brings. And I just couldn't go into the new year thinking, well, you know, we're going to try for another baby. How am I going to get a job on top of all of that? Anyway, I didn't get the job. I was uh, (laughs) called two days before Christmas and told we've given it to someone with more experience. And again, I will just leave that hanging there because who knows, who knows all these things in corporate life. We just leave them hanging there. But yeah, I didn't get it. So I was made redundant. So, yeah, within a space of six weeks, I would kind of lost a baby, lost a job and I was starting the new year in a completely new space. And that's where it all sort of started for me. <laughs>
0: um, firstly, I'm so very sorry that that happened to you. And that's so, that is so much, <laughs> that is, that is so much grief and thank you for sharing that. And thank you for putting that in your book Um talking about identity and, and, and job loss, and because you had so much going on at that time, what were the tools that, that you kind of initially used to get yourself out of that first phase of shock and kind of into the next element of like, okay, well, what, what can I do next?
1: Yeah. And thinking back again, I don't think I really knew what to do. So I just kind of floated. That's mm-hmm. the best way to describe. I, I just thought, okay, how do I reset the year? And what path do we choose to go down and how do we do this? Um, I felt like I, I had to get a job from a financial point of view and then we had to start making decisions. Well, what's the family decision as well? And that that all add complex layers to what happens next. But the one thing that I did start doing was opening up my mind to being more curious and more open-minded to what other people were doing how other people were learning how other people were growing like all of this stuff was sort of going on around me but maybe I hadn't processed it in that way I I think I was quite corporate cloned if that is a thing Mm -hmm. let's call it a thing I don't know um but you know you just kind of get stuck in your bubble and I, I wasn't looking outside for help or growth or anything like that but I thought, I'm going to have to, I need to do something different here. I don't want to be in this kind of situation again. I want something more out of my life. I want things to change. So yeah, it was probably a catalyst of all sorts of things coming together. But that really exploring and opening up to things that felt uncomfortable was probably the first step. And just being mindful that If you don't want to step back into another corporate job and just kind of take that, you know, rebound job or whatever, you know, easiest path and you want something different, you're going to have to feel uncomfortable. So that was probably the first
0: step. Yeah. And as you said, that the kind of corporate bubble, I think that is the one really, really challenging thing. One of many, actually. Um, When you come from the corporate world of you kind of have everything at your disposal, you have a clear career trajectory and what my next promotion is going to be and my next level and what my salary will be. And that's all very, I mean, I worked at Google for a while. And I eventually started (laughs) referring to it as a, like a golden prison, because you literally don't like physically, you don't have to leave the building for anything, because everything you could ever want or need is, is inside, including a therapist, and a Massage therapist and your food in a spin studio, which is just now I view it as like massive red flags. But then emotionally, you don't really need to go elsewhere either to kind of plan for for what it is that you do next. Um, so speaking of the corporate world, <laughs> you have over twenty three years experience working at like big proper organizations like Costa Coffee, Virgin Atlantic, Harvey Nichols, and now you've essentially kind of dedicated this next phase or or perhaps the next you know the rest of your career to helping people through redundancy and and job loss so you founded a company called Another Door and i find it really interesting that you took this extremely painful and challenging part of your life and you turned it into something very constructive that helps other people, Um, what was the kind of catalyst for you in realizing, oh, this is what I want to do next?
1: Yeah. And it's such a, I don't know, a path of discovery for all of us. And it's the question I get asked now. So people will work with me and say, I know I want to change career, but how? How did you do it? But all the webinars and books you can read and watch, I don't think there's one beautiful formula we can follow. No,
0: sadly not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah
1: maybe we should make one you know (laughs) just go through this laboratory and at the other side this is what's going to happen but it doesn't work like that does it and I think it is a case of more how you feel about something and how you're approaching something and how you're working on you as an individual and growth that is the difference so I set off by making about five huge big errors which now people say they're not errors, they're learning experiences. But
0: opportunities? They
1: were massive errors that, you know, I'm quite happy to say big mistake. But I signed up to the wrong programs. I thought I was going to, you know, set up as a as all sorts of random things. And I did it all the wrong way. And half of me accepted that that was part of learning. So I went to something called the Do Lectures which was like this sort of like a motivational sort of three day breakthrough boot camp in the middle of Wales. Something I'd never done before. It was so uncomfortable to sort of be there and not what I would yeah. be loving, but I did love it. And it was these moments in time where you just get these pockets of insights into oh, this is how entrepreneurs think. This is how other people do it. And that's that was one of the things for me. So I made lots of errors knew that that was part of exploring what I wanted to do. But the biggest thing was just writing down in a notebook everything that I kind of was feeling, thinking, ideas, and then taking this leap and saying, "Okay, I've got all these stuff that I keep writing. Why not just put this on a blog? Maybe other people think this as well. Maybe I can get some answers by putting this stuff on a blog. So that was my first step. I wrote loads of things and then put them on a blog, which I'd never done before way out of comfort zone because as you say corporate land you have somebody who does that I have no idea I learned all that stuff put it out there and just started growing a kind of community around people who perhaps wanted something different in life how did they do it I joined lots of other programs around coaching or at least trying to find out what you want to do and from that then I developed this concept of another door so it wasn't like a business idea, it was just an exploratory blog at first, and then over time, it became something that I developed as an offering for people. So we ran workshops with I ran with another career coach, Amanda. We used to just run live workshops in the days where you used to meet and do face to face things. We we ran events and we help people to think about themselves what career they wanted and that was sort of like the first dabble in that but in the meantime i'd set up an online business had a market stall and i had an online business selling beach towels i don't know why i have no idea and i'd also started a consultancy in my comfort zone so i was doing comms contracting just corporate comms projects and contracting just to bring in money while i experimented with all this other stuff
0: yeah it's it's a, um isn't it interesting because i think on paper we see this happened, and then this happened, and yay, successful. And there's so many bits and pieces. There's a lot of mess <laughs> and a lot of notebooks filled with um, hopes and desires and, and trying to figure that out um, in your work with Another Door. And I'm sure with the the case studies and the interviews that, that you did for this book, um, it's a lot when you're kind of listening to other people's stories of – of shame, of, of loss and, and of, um, of job loss and the, the effects that they can have on, on one's life in general. How do you look after your own energy levels and, and your own mental health, even when you're kind of constantly in a space of helping people and holding space for people and helping them um, figure out what to do next?
1: That is such a big question because I got that wrong at the beginning. So that's a huge thing about energy, and I really started learning about energy and where do you, where are you putting it and how are you sharing it and how are you using it? But at the beginning, I didn't do that well. And I mean, there's all sorts of weird moments where I started by just doing mentoring calls for free, literally on LinkedIn saying, if you've made, if you've lost your job, jump on a call. Then I sort of started a membership just to try that out, to see if that could work commercially and people paid me not a lot of money, literally, I think it was like 50 quid or something for like endless coaching and mentoring and things. But I just wanted to experiment. But yes, energy wise, I was feeling absolutely drained and wasn't enjoying it anymore. And when I checked in with what is going on here, I suddenly thought, what am I doing? Like some of these people had just been made redundant. So they had a package, they had money, but they just give me 50 quid. I had nothing by that point because I'd already been made redundant for a while, I wasn't bringing in money. The financial strain was getting quite pressured for me. And yet here I am giving my energy, my advice, literally like giving it away. And these people are like, oh, yeah, I'm really worried. I'm going to have to get a job in six months. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at you. <laughs> but obviously you don't do that. So it was a huge lesson for me to understand, look, if you're going to do this properly, you really need to get a commercial, a bit more commercial mind on it and understand that, you know, keep giving yourself away, you're not going to progress yourself. And that was a huge moment. Good learning, as, as we've discussed, like all of this stuff is keeping open, keep checking in with yourself about what am I learning today, what's happening. So I had to press a great big reset button and say, right, I'm not doing this anymore. How do I reset this? And I went back to contracting in comms land for a while and I just ran a few little workshops that people paid for just to keep things simmering while I explore what I wanted to do. And that's where the book came from. I thought, no, I'm going to write all this together. I'm going to put this all together in some sort of way that I can process it. So it was almost like a me helping me the second time around that I had no work, but not made redundant just because my business wasn't quite working. Right. So that's where the book came from. So yeah, I think it's putting in little checks along the way for yourself to just say, hang on a minute, how am I feeling? What What is going on here? I think I'm doing all this right, but I'm not feeling it. It's feeling heavy. I'm not looking forward to this. I'm not in flow. What's going wrong? And sometimes you might need a mentor or someone else to chat that through. Other times it is just a simple pause in your life, like a 10-minute check-in with what is going on here. So that's probably where I would start with that.
0: Yeah, I think learning to listen – to your own energy levels is really difficult, especially when you're working for yourself. And if you've never kind of been in that uh, position of having something you yourself can offer for money outside of a traditional working contractor or employment, it's so easy just to be like, well, I could just... I could just help you. And as you said, without without thinking about the fact that usually these people would have had a very nice severance package, (laughs) that they that they can, you know, chuck 50 quid your way. um, When you're like, actually, that's my food shopping for this week. So thanks very much, you know. Um, (laughs) And yeah, the the money element of this is all really difficult. So just from from my own, my most recent kind of redundancy, even though it wasn't really redundancy, because the company essentially just like, disappeared into the night and stopped paying us but i found that i had to really readjust my relationship with money and it's it's still a challenge now because i was in a space where i was like on you know google corporate money and could spend just a ridiculous amount of money on skincare and then i couldn't and was like why did i what was i trying to fix like don't get me wrong i still believe in skincare but like not to the level that i was using it before to try to like make my soul glow instead of just, you know, my skin. But yeah, it's that readjustment that I think is really difficult. Um, Has redundancy and even running your own business, how has that kind of adjusted and changed your own relationship with money?
1: Oh, I just love that so much. What was I doing with my skincare, making my soul glow? That (laughs) that just sums it up. I'm with you there. I definitely indulged hugely in all of that stuff. And I was, yeah. And I, I was massively like what you described there. Like I wouldn't think twice about buying a dress here, a dress there, holidays, breaks. It just, you know, salary's gonna. Well, if it doesn't cover it, I'll just cover it next month. You know, it's fine. So definitely more consciousness around money and understanding where again it's like your energy. It's exactly the same debate. Like where am I putting this? I'm choosing. Where I'm spending this precious money because I've worked really hard for it. So where where am I going to now choose to pass it on? It's changing the whole philosophy in relationship with that. I've still definitely got loads of work to do there. Not maybe as bad as I definitely don't buy very expensive skincare anymore and indulge in beautiful clothes from Harvey Nichols and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. But it doesn't matter to me anymore. Actually, it, it's it's irrelevant. I just think I don't know why I thought that was important, but that's definitely not a thing. However, from a business point of view, I still do things like I, I pay people to do things and just waste money in the business. You know, and I, I think, okay, now I need to apply the same process again to where am I putting, you know, we work really hard for this money and then I'm just dishing it out to people who don't deliver or it's not the right service or it's not the right, you know, thing that we need for the business. So I think definitely. That consciousness about choice comes into it from energy, from money. It's all investment. All of it's an investment in time, you know, effort, reward. So choosing really consciously what you want to do with it makes you feel quite empowered. But you still got to work on it. I mean, there's no again no overnight success story there. I'm afraid. Still working on it, but you know, con- more conscious for sure.
0: <laughs> no, I totally. You're totally identified with what you were just saying. It's an ever-growing process. It's always a learning curve. Um, what is it like working for yourself now after, you know, 20-plus years in in the corporate world, beyond beyond just the money, like on a, on a practical level? What has that shift been like for you?
1: So maybe thinking back, maybe I've always worked for myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm
1: quite comfortable in this space now. <laughs> And maybe bosses that, you know, I've had in the past, like, yeah, you always work for yourself. You did nothing that we wanted to do. You're always just doing whatever you wanted to do anyway. So I'm pretty comfortable. (laughs) I feel like I've definitely, that's one of the things I think, I feel so at home here. That's one realisation that maybe corporate life wasn't quite for me, actually. I mean, that job that I got made redundant for, I loved it because they just let me get on with it. Mm -hmm. The boss would literally say, right, this is what we want you to do. Get on with it. So I was loving that. So that part of it, I really enjoy. I think there's obviously that struggle that you, you know, where do you get your energy from? Where do you get your bounce ideas from? Where do you just try when you're having a wallow day, try and kind of share where you're at? that's where you have to start reconnecting into networks you know I I have a coach now myself and I have a network of people who are all entrepreneurs that you know we're on a whatsapp group that we say oh my goodness what's going on you know that part of it is vital because you need people who get it and it's not always going to be your friends and family because I mean I think my friends are have them probably don't even know I've got a book out or even what I do at all. They're like, "What? what are you doing now? <laughs> and that's fine because that's not what they're there around for. You know, everybody's serving us in different ways and we're yes. serving others in different yeah. ways. So I think that's a big difference, building that community around you that kind of can help you and you can help others is key but yes I feel really comfortable in my own space I like having that control like saying no to a project it's quite liberating or knowing that it's not forever so sometimes I've said yes to stuff that maybe I didn't really want to do but it brings in money but you know well this isn't me forever I've just got to do this for a couple of weeks and then you know I'll move on so I think yes there's definitely stuff and you've got to really know yourself really well and have chats regular sort of board meetings with yourself to check in with what's going on. (laughs) But uh, I'm enjoying it personally.
0: That's great. Um, With writing your book, from a practical level, again, how did you find that process of running your own company, having a family, writing a book at the same time, and then your day job and your book basically being the same thing? So you don't really get It's not like you're going to write fiction, like, okay, I'm just going to dip into this other world real quick and write a couple thousand words. It's kind of all interconnected and the same.
1: Well, when I started writing the book, it was just literally me writing notes. So it wasn't a business at that point. And it just developed into that space. And then um, we're actually a military family as well. So we move every two years with my husband's job. So when we moved At one point, that's when I, again, had to restart the business, press the reset button, and it was proving really hard in the area we'd moved into. So actually, it was a bit stressful, but I created that space to say, okay, what am I going to do with this space? I'm not getting contracts in here. It's getting really stressful. What do I do? So I started writing as a way of looking forward to something during the day, apart from applying for jobs, pitching for contracts, putting myself out to try and find projects it was the one thing that I said, right, I'm gonna look forward to this. And um, it was always a couple of hours, maybe every day, if it may half an hour, or, or an hour, if it's, you know, a lot going on. But I just made it my little treat, almost, like indulgence, maybe. And because I was learning what I was writing, so it was sort of helping me get through that space. It was self learn, it was actually the equivalent of I don't know, medication, I guess. Like I was writing what I needed. So that bit was fine. And that's how I got my first draft. But then I started thinking, oh, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to go for it and write a real book. And I've got all this stuff together. I've got a massive Word document, horrendous Word document, as I'm sure you've experienced. And think, what am I going to do with it? So again, I, I actually signed up to a book coach at that moment. And I didn't have work at that point. I didn't have a cash flow. It was a ridiculous thing to do on every level. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And it's going to get done by this date. I want help. This book coach, Jessica, had this amazing program. And I thought, right, focus. So that's how it sort of became enjoyable. I made it the enjoyable thing in my whole life that was probably chaotic at some points. Not that I do chaos, but you know, it it felt like there was so many components going not quite the way I wanted. That was the one thing that I had in control, that I was enjoying, and I made myself right by this point, there's a great sense of achievement. And I thought I was gonna just self publish. So that's why I wanted expertise to help me get to that spot. On this day I'm gonna self publish a book. So that's where I got to, but then I got a book deal and then life kind of shifts around again, different timelines. They they you then go through a new kind of copywriting experience, which was amazing. And I loved it. I loved every minute. And I just set, reset my mind to say, enjoy this. You might never get these sort of opportunities ever again. So I did enjoy every minute. By that point I did have a big contract. I was working for Trinity Mirror by this point um, and doing a bit of work for Channel 4. And it was big contracts. So the only way that I was able to create time was get up at five in the morning. And write from sort of five to six, wow. get the train, which was like a two hour journey into London, right on the train, do a bit of work on the train, do the day job. One night a week, I stayed over in a hotel, again, get my laptop out, beautiful hotel room that looked over London, get my nice. laptop out right. All oh, It was indulgence on every level. But I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to enjoy it. No way I'm going to make this like a... Task of a side task, like, oh, I can't believe i have got to do this. No way. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed every part of it. And I, I made it intentional that that was going to be something I enjoyed.
0: Oh, I love that. Intentional work. And, and also, what I like too, is that because you've been so open about everything else around it, it kind of shows how kind of sweet that is in being able to do that. Because I think a lot of people just share that. It would have been so easy for you to just put on Instagram, well, I'm in this hotel and I'm writing my book again, you know, versus all of the hard work that's gone around it. And the fact that you did an entire first draft in kind of, you know, stolen moments (laughs) and a half hour here, two hours here. And I think actually that's really encouraging to show that one, you can make things happen. It's just maybe not going to happen as quickly (laughs) as you would perhaps want it. And when amazing opportunities do come your way, making sure that it's things that you enjoy. And obviously we all have to do things that we don't want to do and take on the occasional contract that we're probably like, oh God, I don't want to do this, but the money's good, so fine. you know. But it's, it's finding the, that joy and being able to appreciate something for what it is as it's happening, which is, is such a gift to be able to find that in your own work.
1: It's really odd as well, that that whole feeling of joy, like you just described, because the minute I started really trying to enjoy stuff, allowing myself to enjoy that, I got contracts that I really enjoyed. It's really like I obviously, I always loved working at Trinity Mirror well, Reach and I loved working for Channel 4 and I loved my contract before that, like the people and, but before that it felt all so hard. Everything felt hard work because I wasn't allowing myself to enjoy it. I was just in the panic space. And the minute I sort of said, come on, enjoy something, you know, I felt like, wow, I can't believe I remember sitting on the train at like six in the morning going, oh, I can't believe I'm so lucky. <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous is that? Like, what? You're in a train going to London at six in the morning. Why are you so happy about this? You idiot. <laughs> and suddenly I was like,
0: oh, wow, I'm on a train. Wow, yeah. I've got <laughs> no, but that's but that's so true. And in, in being able to find joy in your work is like the kind of holy grail Um, and what you talked about kind of the the panic when that sets in and I think that especially with job loss it's when you make decisions out of panic or desperation or fear that those never really quite work out it's it's actually kind of irritating that (laughs) when you make it when you kind of just go well, this contract's coming up and I know that I need to get another one and I think it'll work out. I'll just put out some feelers and something will happen. That then something happens. But when you're like, holy shit, I need money and this is going to happen. And the first person that goes, yeah, we can have you do this really weird thing. You just go, yes, I'll take it. And (laughs) it doesn't kind of work out. Um, Because I know that this is something that you address in your book as well as rushing into things. Like how, how can people... Or how have you yourself kind of quieted the um, the panic and been able to make decisions from a less fearful place?
1: Yeah, and I, I think we do that in all sorts of walks of life when we start thinking about it, you know, how we make decisions. In fact, that was one of the pieces of research I really enjoyed because I didn't realise we all make decisions in different ways. And it's so obvious when I say that out loud, but... Decisions are huge in people's lives. Like phobia is a thing. I didn't know that. And yeah. I was looking it up, going, Wow, people actually fear making a decision. But it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, like yeah. That's why sometimes our friends or people in our network make decisions and you're just sitting there going, Why why would they do that? I don't why? What happened there? So yeah, but I mean part of part of that kind of fear is us understanding what, what is driving us. And the what's the real narrative that's going on there? And what's that little inner chatter? What is it really saying? What is it the reality of it? So now I make people write down what's the inner chatter today? Like what's really going on for you? Is it real or is it made up or is it what ifs? Yeah. Most of the time we just made them up. What if I do something... And I get it wrong. And everyone laughs at me. What if I do something and it doesn't work and people will think uh, I'm a failure or I don't know what I'm doing? And it's, you know, so we do nothing and we just freeze. So I think the fear part of it is always worth investing that time to, I say slow down, I guess it is. But it it is part of them bouncing into a space. You want to be quicker. I'll give you a great example at the moment. A lot of people saying, I've applied for 250 jobs and I'm getting nowhere. You know, you're seeing the headlines in the media. Of course you're not. Because how can you be putting all of your intention and your energy into all of that? It's exhausting. You must be burnt out before you've even got over the line. So the slow down bit is like looking after yourself, giving yourself time to really reset, thinking about, you know, what, what do I really want? And then one or two things that are so heartfelt and you've put energy into them that it will get you closer to the points. Don't apply for 200 jobs. Like I did it. Press that apply button on LinkedIn. It's like playing some weird sort of, I don't know, game.
0: It's terrible. (laughs) I've never had that work. Not once. Me neither.
1: (laughs) It doesn't, but we can't help it. We we, we think that we're helping each other. Oh, just press that button. It's not going to work. You're going to get 200 rejections, and that's going to weigh you down. It's going to make you feel awful. So slowing down to go, right, I really want three of those jobs. How do I put myself in the best space possible? Because the other thing about two, you know, the other headline is, you know, 400 people applying for one job. Yes, 400 people have pressed the apply button. Maybe 20 have done the work. Yes, 20 people want that job. So actually you're only competing with the people who really, really, really want that job, whatever job that is. So if you start resetting yourself in that space, I think that you can help yourself to get there quicker. So slowing down might feel really uncomfortable and you might feel like, well, I've applied for 50 jobs today, so I've done my bit. But slowing down just to be really more clear on where you're putting your focus and what you want from it will help you get there quicker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I went through your Instagram, Eleanor, and you posted a really wonderful photograph of your daughter wearing a shirt that says, the best thing that ever happened. And you actually have a really sweet dedication to her in your book saying, I hope you never need this book, but if you do, you know it's going to be okay. And that really highlighted for me how complicated this must be for parents to explain job loss, Um, and redundancy to their kids um, particularly if it's happening in a pandemic do you have any pointers for how best parents can talk about uh, their job loss with with their kids I think it's um, it's
1: huge for us as parents but is it huge for the child Mm -hmm. you know it's like a lot of these things isn't it depending on how old they are my daughter's six and that's the most important thing to her She doesn't actually, again, does she know I even work? I have no idea. She knows that mommy's just at home. She's just on her computer. I don't know. Yeah. She just does stuff. So I think we process our some of our thoughts and then we put it on them. But the best thing, I mean, when she she was very little when I was out of work the first time. So she didn't have any awareness of that, which is fine. Keep remove that. I tried not to be like upset in front of her and things like that. You know, try to remove that space and structure a day so that I could do all of my sort of stressful applying for job stuff and, you know, wallowing and all that stuff away and then give her time and presence because she was only little. But the next time round, she's old and understands what's, you know, what's going on. And a little bit like we're having to describe what lockdown is for, you know, for all these kids. I mean, that one minute they're. We're telling them they got to go to school the next minute. You're like, oh, stay at home. You know, it's really hard. So I think just gentle conversation, just asking them, how are you? Have you got any questions? You know, like that kind of thing. It sounds a bit silly, but it kind of worked. And me and my daughter, there's just me and her at the moment. And um, yeah, we have a good little chat about things and she asks me, you know, what what are you doing? And I ask her, sometimes she just doesn't want to talk and just wants to go and play with Lego. But, you know, that's fine. But trying to just give them space to be children and not bringing my stuff into their space was really important. And I do remember and I've talked to people about this, obviously, in my community when you're stressed and, and things are getting just so much overwhelming, you could really take it out on them. You know, like Lego hasn't been put away. That's your trigger point for the day. You yeah. know, you might have stood on yeah. one and that's it. It sends you off into this world of like, oh, my whole life is a disaster. I'm going to, you know, scream and shout at my children and get a bed. I've had enough. Mummy wants to go and drink gin. <laughs> trying to keep their space that's my priority I want to keep her space as protected as possible she doesn't need to know what's going on it's all going to work out it's fine but yeah checking in and just having those moments on your own actually is part of helping your kids like if you're feeling really stressed just go and sh- sit in a dark room <laughs> somewhere and say I just need 10 minutes of breathing otherwise I'm actually going to explode because you know you've, you've not put your Lego away so, yeah, I think it's just trying to be mindful of all of that, not bringing too much into their world. But I get it. It's easier said than done.
0: It's tough. And, yeah, having a having a dark room to maybe go soundproof room <laughs> to go scream in. Uh, every household really should uh, <laughs> should have one of those particularly. Now, maybe houses built uh, after 2020 will just have like a panic slash scream room for us to uh, retire to when we need to. <laughs> um do you have a favorite case study, either from uh, another door or or from your book, that you really kind of makes you go, ah, oh, yeah, I helped somebody and they did something amazing?
1: There's a few um, that I kind of watch and think, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I'm sure Joe doesn't mind me talking about her. I mean, jo, I just love what Joe's doing. She's got um, on Instagram the, the, the Mad and Sad Club. She was made redundant and we did a little bit of work together, just chatting about possibilities, what else she could do. She's really interested in mental health side, explored all sorts of different ways of developing that. And I think that was maybe two years ago now or a year ago. And now go and look at her Instagram. She has got this. She's so confident about, and she inspires me because she talks a lot about boundaries. I do this. I offer that. I don't work after this time. I do it in this way. She's not on any other social media, just Instagram. She shut everything else off. She's just so clear on all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Hugely inspiring.
0: Yeah. I mean, I admire anyone. I I talk a lot about in my book about boundaries, but my God, are they difficult. And when you see somebody who's just really nailing it, you're like, good Lord. Well done. <laughs> it is very inspiring because it's, it's it's it sounds so basic, but those are such yeah. difficult things to yeah. enforce. They're very easy to uh, complain about, but they're very hard to enforce. Uh, so well done, Joe. Yeah, I'll definitely have to have to look her up. Um, in your book, you have a, a section called uh, "Be Clear on Your Why," which is basically what I, I try to kind of get to. In this podcast, getting to the heart of what it is that people do and why. Um, so, you know, tell us, Eleanor, what's what do you think is at the the heart of what you do? What's what's your why? I
1: and it's interesting that why I put that in the book. I think Simon's why, his huge big why, can sometimes feel hugely overwhelming. Like, oh my goodness, I've now got to save the world. A purpose. <laughs> yeah. I've got to have purpose. I've got to have a mission. I've got to be saving something that the world needs right now. Oh my goodness. Actually, I'll just go back and get an office job. That's easier. So I think why can sometimes overwhelm, but actually just knowing your reason for doing something on a really simplistic micro level can really help you to make those decisions, help you to understand what the next step is. And I checked in and realized, like, I didn't really know, like, what am I doing this for? Until I just took that moment of like, right, why am I doing this? What do I want? I just asked those two simple questions. And at the time, it was like, well, we move every two years. I want a simpler life. I actually wrote it on a post-it note somewhere, which I carry around. Every time we move, I put it on back on the wall. I want a simpler life. And I think I put, I want less chaos. I don't think that's actually achieved. And I want more calm. That was another thing. So it was as simple as that. It was more not so much like big targets or goals or anything like that. It was more like a way of living. Mm -hmm. I just wanted things simpler and I wanted to feel more in control of what I was doing and I wanted more creativity. So I built out from that, well, what's my way of living? How do I want to feel? So my why wasn't really I want to change the lives of a 1,000 people who get made redundant. It maybe is more like the business goal now. I would love the business to be in that space, but that's more of a strategic goal. My personal why is more, how am I living? And it's definitely around, I want to be creative. I want to help people. I want to feel like I'm contributing, but mostly I just want a simpler life.
0: I love that. No, I, I really strongly identify with that. I had a similar I write about this in the book. I feel like I've said that thirty six <laughs> times. Sorry, um, <laughs> but I do. I I did have this happen to me at a a workshop that I went on. Um, or you have to do an exercise uh, along those lines and kind of write freely for a few minutes about you know what what do you want? What do you want in five years time? And that's such a cliched question, but it literally changed my <laughs> life. Like it literally just completely made me go, oh, I want different things than I'm doing now. So what, you know, what the hell am I doing if, if this is what I actually want and I'm on a completely opposite yeah. path? Um, Eleanor Tweddle, thank you so, so much for coming on the Heart of It podcast. Um, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Where can our listeners find you online? Well, funny you mentioned
1: cliches because my business is another door. <laughs> so I'm at anotherdoor.co.uk, born from the cliche that we all try and avoid when we get made redundant, which is when one door closes, another opens. But that's the philosophy. It's about embracing that. And so on all social, I'm not good at boundaries. I'm all over the place. I'm at another
0: door UK. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Eleanor. Thank you very much for having me. A huge thank you to Eleanor for being so honest with me about her experience of losing her job and what the process of writing her book was really like for her. Job loss is something that's affected so many people in the last year, and Eleanor's advice and expertise on the topic I know will not only be of use, but a great comfort to many. If you'd like to check out Eleanor's book, it's called Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You, and it's available on Amazon and in all good bookshops. And you can also check out her podcast, Another Door. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you can follow us on social media at Heart of It Podcast.